Okay, morning, Olive Tree. So nice to see all you beautiful people. Now, love, not because you didn't do um, justice to the woman, you did such a great job praying for us. But I just want to continue on in the spirit of honoring half of the room this morning. So, um, beautiful woman, if you're here, give me a wave. Gorgeous, gorgeous woman. Um, One of my most favorite scriptures, and for me, it doesn't speak necessarily about woman, but I take it um, directly to my heart for woman. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Beautiful. That's for women. Men, if you haven't written a Mother's Day card yet, those are your words. <laughs> the bottom line is women want to be thought about all the time. We want to be told that we're true and noble and honorable and lovely and just and commendable and excellent. So please make sure you add those things in there. Um, And then secondly, if you haven't bought a card, so those are some of the words you can use, that'll be helpful. Then if you haven't bought a present, just want to give a really quick punt to Wholehearted. So Wholehearted, if you're new to our community, it's our women's conference that we do annually. We're doing it on the 9th of August this year. Um, Nats does the most fantastic job at rallying people from different spheres and different walks of life to bring together the most wonderful day of just spiritually full um, food. You'll feel full. um, You'll be in the community of beautiful women. You'll feel encouraged. You'll get loved on, um, and you'll be inspired. So if you haven't bought a ticket for Wholehearted, please go ahead and get one. And if your mom doesn't have a prezi yet, buy one for your mom too. She'll love to have one. And then my last Mother's Day quotes, also one of my favorites, and go hand in hand with two beautiful things. Christian Dior famously penned these words. After woman, flowers are the most lovely thing that God created. To which we say, amen, (laughs) amen. Okay, so Olive Tree, this morning I'm gonna be speaking about um, a passage of scripture from John 2. Now, I'm just going to give a little bit of overview to the book of John. So, the book of John is the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And theologians have kind of described the first three books, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as um, with some Bible jargon, they call the synoptic gospels, okay? But basically, the fourth gospel, according to John, stands out a little bit. It's quite different to the first three Um, There's a different kind of style of writing that John uses. It's a little bit more poetic. But there's a theme in the Gospel of John where John is pointing primarily through that book to seven main miracles. And now the interesting thing about the miracles that John points to, they have something in common, which we'll speak about just now. But um, the word miracle can actually be interchanged quite easily with signs and wonders. And if you think about a sign, what is the purpose of a sign? The sign is there to give you direction to something. So if um, we were at church here and we wanted to drive down to the beach and we would head down Argyle and then we would see a sign that said Durban Beach Friends pointing straight. We wouldn't stop the car at the sign and take out our picnic blanket and with our cozies and towels and like make home at the sign. So the sign is pointing to where we want to go. It's not the end point of something. 
Now, it's interesting that the word miracles can be interchanged slightly with the word signs. Signs and wonders or miracles will follow the believers. So when we're looking at the miracles, when we're looking at this miracle specifically at the um, wedding in Cana, we're going to be looking at the fact that it was a miracle, that there was the miraculous hand of God, that there was a powerful physical manifestation of God's presence. That's what a miracle is. It's It's a powerful physical manifestation. So we see that. But there's a second thing. There's something that the miracle is pointing to. It's a sign. It's pointing to Jesus. That's the other thing. You see, that's the other thing that miracles do. They point you to the person who made the miracle happen. um, John 20, 30 to 31 says this. Now Jesus, this is at the end of John, after he's spoken about the many signs. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this morning, we could focus while I'm going through the scripture. I want you to keep those two aspects in mind. I want you to keep in mind, there's the physical manifestation, the physical miracle that we're going to see. But then there's also something else that this miracle is pointing to. So let's get stuck into John 2, 1 to 11, if you've got your Bible. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. But when peop- and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now there's an interesting short conversation, a short um, passing between of words between Jesus and his mom. Jesus says to her, his mom says to Jesus, they haven't got any wine. And Jesus replies, oh mother, What's that got to do with you and me? My time hasn't come yet. Now there's a sense in that little passage of scripture yet, Jesus says, my time hasn't come yet. So he's talking potentially about, hey mom, it's not my time right now at this wedding to do a miracle. But he's also prophesying about the future. He's pointing to the future. He's pointing to the cross that that future time hasn't yet come. There's still a time over there when he's gonna reveal himself in the full glory of who he is. But then, why does Jesus go ahead and do it? If his time in that wedding right there, if, that ti- if his time hasn't come then, and he's pointing to something in the future, then why does he go ahead and do this miracle? So um, I've kind of taken speculative rights here. So this isn't exactly what the Bible says, so give me a little bit of grace. But maybe it was because Jesus was a really good boy, and he really loved his mom, and he really wanted to honor her. <laughs> and so here's a Mother's Day free tip. When your mama asks you to do something, 
be like Jesus and honor her and whip your cute butt into action and do what she's asked you to do. Okay, mothers, yeah? That's what all the mothers in this house want. Whip your cute bum into action and get it done. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then they took some out and gave it as a taster to the MC. You know, have you ever asked Jesus for something and he asks you to do something else? You ever kind of like said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I need some money. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it this month. Um, it's feeling a bit tight financially. And Jesus says, that's okay. Go on a mission trip. <laughs> or Jesus says, you say to Jesus, God, like, I'm really, I've got so much work. I'm overwhelmed. There's just none of hours in the day. Like, I need another eight hours just to get all this work done today. Never mind tomorrow's work. And maybe, possibly, if you listen, maybe he's saying to you, that's okay, I want you to volunteer. Volunteer at We Are Durban, give them four hours a month. And you know what happens? <laughs> he takes what we give and he multiplies it miraculously. So we take our water to Jesus, we ask him for one thing, but if we listen to him, <laughs> he so often tells us to do something that we feel often is so counterintuitive, but in that counterintuitive action and the obedience of God, often he takes us and provides exactly what we needed. Jesus' ways. Now we're told later on in the verse. Oh wait, hang on, just want to pause. For some of you here, there might be some of you who feel like you're waiting for Jesus to do something. Maybe you feel like you, something in your heart, in your body, in your mind is kind of broken and a bit destitute. Maybe you feel a little bit paralyzed, emotionally paralyzed or mentally paralyzed. You kind of feel like you could use the analogy of you're lying on a mat. And you say, crying out to Jesus, Jesus, come. Like, I need your healing. I need you to come through for me. And just like Jesus said to the man at the well, man at the pool of Bethesda, he says, I'm going to heal you, but get up and walk. <laughs> so you need to walk, but Jesus says, get up and walk. <laughs> and I think for some of you here in the room this morning, Maybe you're asking Jesus for provision. You're asking him for more hours in your day. You're asking him to help you be the mom, be the dad, be the spouse that you need to be. And he's saying, yeah, I'm going to, but I want you to put your hands to it. I want you to be there, and he's going to come through. Now we carry on in the scripture, and we're told that there were six stone water jars that were standing there, ready for use in the Jewish purification rites. I've read this passage of scripture so many times, and just this week, yesterday, when I was going through this, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, there's something about those stone jars. There's something about those stone jars that people sometimes miss when they read this. So these stone jars, they were massive. They weren't a drink, they weren't a water bottle. But it's not just because they weren't the size, okay? So they were probably about a size of a 50 liter tank. That's how big these stone jars were, about 50 liters. But it's not because of the size of them that makes them so, so important. It's because of what their predisposed purpose or use was. So their, their actual intended purpose and use was that they would contain water that was used for, for purification rites. So no one drank that water. 
It wasn't water that you would use in the shower necessarily. This was water set aside specifically for purification rites. Now, purification rites in essence was if you had touched something unclean, you needed to be made clean. But now the classification for unclean was really big. So the classification for unclean could be a leper. So if you were a leper or you touched a leper. Or a woman in her monthly cycle. If you touched her, unclean. Or a prostitute. Or other people who were unclean were tax collectors and sinners. Someone who was dead was unclean. And if you were one of those people, you touched one of those people, you were made unclean. And so that's what this water was for. This water was there so that people could wash the uncleanness off of themselves. Now I'm going to share with you a really interesting little um, research from a, a social psychologist. And um, in the 90s, he did some research and he found, so what his, exper his experiment was called Hitler's sweater. And he caught some people in a room and he said to them, right, I've got Hitler's sweater here, and showed it all to them, held it up. It was pretty tattered, really well worn. There were some pers perspiration marks on it. It looked legit. It looked like Hitler's sweater. And he said to them, okay, how many of you will put the sweater on and wear it? Not a single person wanted to touch the sweater, let alone put the sweater on. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I think about Hitler's sweater... You couldn't pay me to put that thing on. Maybe 50,000, I'm not sure. Depends how high you want to go. But I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm fascinated to know, is there anyone in this room who legitimately feels like if someone showed you Hitler's sweater, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to put that thing on. Like, put your hand up, like I'm really interested to see who you are. <laughs> so the outcome of this research it's really fascinating. It's that people, as you and me, we don't want to touch something that's unclean. So for the last de few decades, since the 90s, since Dr. Paul Rosen did this research, there have been many other researchers who've done similar kinds of experiments with different items, trying to see if people who are clean will touch something that's unclean. And unclean could be anything from sick to evil, to known someone who's known to have bad luck. So the terminology for it was really big. But what that says about you and me, whether it's subconscious or conscious, is that essentially, we don't want to be associated with anything that's evil. We want to be separated from something that's evil or sick or tainted or unclean. These jars that held this water, this water was what was supposed to make people clean. This water was what people thought would wash away from them, would purify them on the outside from potentially something that was going on in the inside of them or of somebody else. See, when I, when I started thinking about it like that, 
it made me think of the scripture from Matthew 23, and we've all heard this before. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like the righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know what people did after um, purification rites, after they would, were washed with the water, is that they would separate themselves. And they would separate themselves from people who hadn't performed the same purification rites as themselves. So if I had washed myself, I wouldn't then go and put myself in an area or in a room or definitely not touch anyone who hadn't made themselves clean. And you know, as, as ludicrous as that kind of sounds, I'm not so sure that, um, I'm not so sure that we've moved so far on from that thinking. If I think about Durban and our own history as a city, I think that there have been times in the history of our city and in our country when we've separated what we think, what we would term as clean and unclean. There's been times when we've separated rich to poor. And what's frightening is that in a lot of instances, even today, some of those unseen lines, whether they're conscious or subconscious, still exist. We're still drawing lines between clean and unclean. But Jesus, but Jesus again and again, you know, this first miracle that he performs at the wedding in Cana, it's amazing. So there's essentially seven others that are recorded in the book of John, and five of them are miracles or signs where Jesus interacts or heals somebody. And the, the other five instances where he's healing or touching somebody, he's healing them of something unclean. So he... Um, touches someone who's dead, he heals a leper, all these instances of him interacting with someone who is known to be unclean, and the Pharisees of the day would have been watching Jesus thinking, if you're Jesus, if you're who you say you are, if you're God, you're clean and you're righteous, you're pure, therefore you should not be touching something that is unclean or unpure, because you're going to catch the uncleanness, you're going to catch Hitler, you're going to catch that evil if you go ahead and touch. But what did Jesus do? Jesus wasn't afraid that the uncleanliness from the sin was going to make him unclean. No. Jesus says, I'm going to make them clean. I'm going to take my righteousness and I'm going to make you righteous. And it's so different to up until that time, what they had been practicing. You have to understand, the Pharisees would have been looking, thinking, they didn't have the full expository that we have now of Scripture. They're looking at Jesus going, no, you're righteous. You can't touch them. You're going to be unclean. And Jesus again and again is trying to show them, no. No, you don't understand. I'm going to make them clean. 
Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. Just to be clear, the amount of wine that we're talking about, we're not talking about like a wine bottle. Like you go to a wedding and you might put a wine bottle on your table and you share it with the whole table. So at weddings in Jesus' day, they would invite the whole village, okay? But the village of Cana wasn't that massive. But it was also, keep in mind, just in case you think they got totally toasted on day one, they didn't. It was a seven-day-long feast, okay? So they they were able to like spread the wine drinking across the entire week. It wasn't like a four-hour evening where they drank 674 liters of wine, which is how much Jesus multiplied. So you want to look at a wine shelf if you're in a bottle store. So like that's you looking at a bottle store, okay? It's just a certain amount of bottles. This, the second picture, that's how much wine, if my calculations are right, I counted bottles, that's how much wine Jesus multiplied. Round about 600 liters. What do you... What do you think about 600 liters of wine? The, you know, it's amazing. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do stuff in small. He's like, can you, can you see? Can you see all this wine? You know what it is. This is how much is in heaven. So that thing that I said earlier about signs, so you've got the physical manifestation of the power and presence of God, which is beautiful and powerful, but it's not just that. It's that it's pointing, the sign is pointing, the miracle is pointing to the person who did it. So what do you think all these bottles, what is Jesus trying to tell us? Look how big I am, look how much I've got. See, a sign is an intersection, N.T. Wright, the theologian says, a sign is an intersection between heaven and earth coming together. It's showing you something about the person who did it. It's showing you something of what heaven is like. Heaven is like this. So now the result of the sign of Jesus making that much wine, obviously, was a very happy wedding. But in John 2.11, we read this. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Or in another translation, it says this. There Jesus showed how wonderful he was. So the miracle, the sign that Jesus performed, you know what it's doing? It's showing us how wonderful he is. So there's this amazing thing of I need something, God, will you provide it? And God's like, yes, I will provide. But I also want you to look, because I've provided, and look how well I've provided for you, what is it telling you about me? Who am I? I am this big and I am so good, beyond what you could imagine. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this amazing miracle, to the sign? The first thing I think we need to do is that we should put our faith in him. You look at Mary's response in verse five, what Mary says to the servants. She says, do whatever he tells you. Her own words to those waiters at those tables demonstrates her own faith in who Jesus was. Do whatever he tells you to do. Are you asking Jesus for something? Do you need something from him? He's gonna tell you something. 
Because you're asking him, he's going to respond. And I'm going to ask you, in the words of Mary today, to do whatever he's telling you to do, even when it might feel counterintuitive to what you've asked for. Sometimes we can't see how God is going to provide. Sometimes it looks like the opposite to what we're asking for. But in the really wise words of Mary, do what he's asking you to do. And the second thing I think that we should do in response to this is that we should go to him. Some theologians study numbers. And so most of the numbers in the Bible all have a relative symbol or can be associated with something. They're depicting something. There's a reason for them. They're intentional. It's not just a random number. So when we consider the number six, there were six stone jars at this wedding. Six is the number of man. So these stone jars are representing man. They're representing you and me. So, so six stone jars that are filled with water, they represent us because you know what we often try to do? We try to wash ourselves clean. We try to make ourselves holy. We try to do what we can so we can be presentable, so we can be better, so we can be perfect. We're trying to make ourselves holy. See, here's the big idea, the bottom line for this passage of scripture is that Jesus took an old purification system. He took something that people had to do. They had to wash themselves in water to get rid of the uncleanliness from their lives. And if they didn't do it, they weren't clean. Jesus is taking that ritualistic system, that routine, that act that people continue to do, and that not only continue to do it, but it had this way of segregating people. It made the um, religious leaders, made them think and feel like they were more holy, that they were more righteous, and drew a line in the sand for the people who weren't doing it or who weren't clean. For whatever was going on in their lives, they were less holy, less righteous, less pure. Jesus comes and he says, that act that you do, I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna make that water that you used to wash yourself with, I'm gonna turn it into wine. And what do we do with wine? Really easy question, what do we do with wine? We, we drink it. We don't wash ourselves with, with wine. You know what wine is a picture of? Wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of joy, it's a picture of life, of fullness. So friends, when you drink wine, because that's what you do with it, when you go to the purification stone jars now, and there's no longer water in them, there's wine, you're not washing in the water to make yourself clean, you're drinking the wine, you're taking in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now making you new from the inside out. It's that scripture from Matthew. We're no longer having to wash the outside of ourselves to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves clean, to make ourselves pure. We're getting the Holy Spirit inside first. And the Holy Spirit is coming out of us and we're made pure, not because of anything we've done, because we've taken in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is cleaned, renewed, resurrected, made new, everything inside of us. Guys, that is the first miracle that Jesus did. The first one, no, leave everything you're trying to do to make yourself right and come to me and I will give you wine and my wine will make you new. It's his first miracle. What is he showing us? How much overflow, how much he desires that we come to him, he fills us and we're new, we're resurrected. I'm sorry, but that's a hallelujah. That is just unbelievable in God. Amen.
to Jesus, Mary says, honey, or champion, I don't know what her nickname for Jesus was, we've run out. We've run out of wine. Doesn't it remind you of something? Come to me, all of you who are thirsty. If you're thirsty, we need something to drink. You know, he takes our, I've run out, I don't have anything left, and he makes our lives overflow. He takes our, Angise Luto, and he makes Angwalisa. You know, Angwalisa. Angwalisa, Angwalisa, fill, to fill and to fill and to fill again and again and again. He takes what is empty, and over and over again, he fills it. He takes our dry wasteland. He takes what is of no value. He took water. It had no value. And he made it the most precious, most expensive, most matured wine that anyone had ever tasted. It was the best until last. He's got the best part of his Holy Spirit to pour out on your life now. Friends, this scripture This picture of Jesus performing this sign, this miracle at this wedding, it's a picture to give us hope. Take your water to him, whatever is in your jars, and let him make it into wine. So this wedding at Cana, in fact, also serves as a bit of a prophecy and is pointing, it's a foreshadowing of what's still coming. So we have the first miracle of Jesus at this wedding in Cana. What is the very last story in the Bible? A wedding feast. The first miracle of Jesus at a wedding and the last story, what we've got to look forward to, is also at a wedding. See, the prophet saw this day. Amos rejoiced in the Old Testament. He said, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Joel saw a day when the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. I think Jesus added in the hills will flow with milk just in case some of us don't drink wine, you know? So there's sweet wine for those of you who do the wine and then there's some milk from the hills for those of us who don't. Mind you, I do have wine, clearly because my daughter in the first service, they did this like little card. It said who my mom is and what she's like. So there's like this whole description of mom and there's like, what does she like to eat? And then what does she like to drink? And my daughter put wine. I just want to share though, um, I've had so many times when I have run out of wine, when I haven't had anything left. I remember just after I got saved, I, um, there was a baptism after an evening service and they were, we were doing them in the school pool and I decided I wanted to get baptized. I just felt my heart burning. I jumped in the pool and got baptized. And Although I had come to know Jesus, there was still some like desperate stuff in my heart. There was some brokenness and dryness that I was just desperate for the Holy Spirit to come in and wash and renew and fill me up. And after I got baptized, I woke up for seven mornings, a whole week, to the sound of myself laughing. I didn't like wake up and then think like Jesus is hysterical, ha, 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 and start laughing. I literally would be asleep, I would start laughing, and I would open my eyes because I was laughing. Now, you don't have to believe me, I don't care. It was a complete supernatural experience from the Holy Spirit. 
completely. The, the last morning I had an encounter with Jesus, but um, Jesus knew what I needed. I'd been baptized in water. I'd had like an outward purification. And then Jesus went, you're gonna wake up and I'm gonna cause my wine to flow out of you. <laughs> he was giving me a sign of the new purification rites. He was showing me it's the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna bring joy out of you without you doing anything. You don't even have to know anything. Then I had um, an experience about three weeks ago at school and um, we have a safe in our one storeroom and there were a few thousand rands in there that I was leaving to pay some guys who were helping fix school. And I was at school late the one evening, went to the safe and the money was gone. And you know, we're, we're a PBO, we don't have tons of cash, so when some thousands get taken out the safe, it's a big deal for us. And I was, I was really desperate, I was brokenhearted. Um, I went home that night, I was really upset, drove the kids to school the next morning, I'd gotten dressed to go to work, but after I dropped the kids at, work, at school, I couldn't actually go into work. And I got home and I said to Ross, I actually feel like I'm gonna have a panic attack. My anxiety was really high, I was struggling to breathe. Um, and you know, that day I spent most of the day in bed, but just like tucking into the presence of God, Jesus, I don't know what to do, please just help. Just like little desperate heartbeat, prayers and cries. Do you know about 24 hours later, I, have, I had no experience left of panic or of anxiety. I have joy and it sounds completely ridiculous, but I'm really happy. Like, I'm not really happy that the money got on, but I feel absolutely fine. Like, Jesus has taken my water, which was dead and empty, and Jesus, I don't have enough, and he's replaced it with wine. Now, Ross and I have gone through a season of having a really, really tough marriage. There was a long period where I would wake up in the morning, just throughout the day, and I'd be like, Jesus, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I, I actually don't know if I've got what it takes I've poured everything out, I'm empty, my heart is sore, I'm tired. And do you know what we live in now? Do you know what we have in our marriage? We have the most amazing joy in our marriage. And Jesus has taken, my, my wine is done in our marriage, our, it's empty, and he's replaced it. And it's so much better. It's so much better than it ever was. And about two months ago, Ross and I put an offer in on a house. So we've been renting for the last few years. And um, then Ross sent me to negotiate with the seller. <laughs> I won. But um, we didn't actually have a deposit <laughs> to put down on the house. Um, anyway, like, made it work out. And then we got the bill for the transfer duty fees. We are like, oh. <laughs> I emailed Ross, babe, is this account for us? It's like, no, it's for the seller. I was like, do you just want to check? <laughs> we didn't have money for the, like transfer duty. So like, okay, like how much more can we maximize on the mortgage? 
like max out the mortgage, like actually you don't have enough money. So much so that the last few days, middle of this week, Wednesday, Ross and I said to ourselves, like maybe we need to just, I don't know, how do you return it? <laughs> Give it back. <laughs> Yesterday, a friend has given us the transfer duty. Amen. Like not giving it back. You know what, that friend of ours is absolutely unbelievable, and we're so grateful. But you know what that is? That's us taking our water. <laughs> like Jesus, our storehouses are empty. <laughs> we don't have anything left. Can you do something, Jesus? Will you reach down, will you touch this water? And will you bring out something even more valuable? Will you restore it, will you replace it? Will you bring something, I don't have enough and I need you? And Jesus, because he's the giver of good gifts, because of who he is, he's turned our water into wine. So I don't know your story, how your week has been, what your year has been like. But if you're at a place right now where you're crying out and you're saying, I've run out, Jesus, I've run out of water, I need wine, I don't have anything left. I'm dry, I'm desolate, I'm empty. You're in a good place this morning because I really believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna come down and he's gonna minister so powerfully. So I'm gonna ask you, if, if you right now need something from Jesus, if your cry is, God, I'm thirsty, I need you, I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray for you. You know, being in a place of need, although it can often be painful, it's the best place to be. Because if you know Jesus, you know that he, he comes to us and he meets our needs and he is so faithful. Jesus, I just wanna thank you right now, God, for every single person who is here, God. I wanna thank you for their life. I wanna thank you for their calling, for their destiny, for what you are leading them into. I thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have to prosper them, Jesus. God, and we just wanna declare and give you praise before we even start, God, that you are a good God. That you have beautiful things in store for us, Jesus. Just really get a sense of the Holy Spirit saying the best is yet to come. It's just like, the best wine was reserved for the end. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, the best is still coming, the best part of Him, the best part of your experience of Him, the best part of His provision in your life, the thing that you so desperately need to see Him do, the best part of it is still coming. You haven't seen the best of Him yet. Jesus, I just wanna lift up every heart here, every heart, God every desperate cry out, Jesus, for more of you, God. We're coming to you, Jesus, now. And we're saying, will you take our water and will you turn it into wine, Jesus? Will you take what we're offering, all that we've got? Will you multiply it? Will you stir it up, Jesus? Will you make it overflow out of our lives in abundance, God? You know, I really believe sometimes that when God blesses us with something or gives us a story to tell it so that other people can be 
the beneficiary of what Jesus has done in us. So right now, God, I wanna ask and plead and cry out and declare, God, that as we receive an overflow from heaven, God, that it would flow out of our lives. The Holy Spirit would pour forth from us, Jesus, that there would be signs and wonders, wonders and miracles in our own lives that would point to you, Jesus, not just point to a miraculous, powerful, physical manifestation of your presence, but that would point to the King of Kings and a good God who loves His people, Jesus. Let it be so in our own lives so that we could be sign pointers to other people, Jesus. I just wanna ask God for supernatural experiences, Jesus. Words of prophecy and gifts, wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, Jesus. I believe and I declare right now, God, that you are gonna heal relationships. You're gonna heal and mend hearts. That you're gonna pour out where people think they've come to the end of themselves, where there is nothing left to hope for, Jesus. I declare, God, that there is still so much more in store. Hold on. I just hear the Father saying, hold on. Just some people here. Are you wondering why God brought you here? It's because sometimes He has to break our washing ourselves so that He can show the power of His Holy Spirit. And for some of you, you need to stand. You're sitting, but you need to stand. Because it's an act of going, I'm not going to try and wash myself anymore. I'm not going to try to do the water thing. I need your wine. There's only one... So only one requirement for being filled with the Holy Spirit is you've got to be thirsty. And you get really thirsty when you've been trying to do the same thing again and again. It just doesn't work and you try harder and it doesn't work and you're trying to make, pay that bill, do that thing and it doesn't work. You get to the place where you go, God, I give up on me. I need you. So all who are thirsty, why don't you put your hands out. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit just fills. And Holy Spirit, if, you, if you're sitting and you've got your hands out, don't be dwarf, stand up. Holy Spirit, just come fill every person with their hands out, God. They're thirsty, come upon them. Baptize them in your spirit. Just flood through bodies, through minds, through hearts, through souls. Bring healing there. Oh God, touch that person's business, Jesus. Just let your spirit come across this room, filling people. I ask God that there is an infilling, a wisdom, provision. Some of you will go day to day, and some of you will be promoted immediately. Those who go day to day do not stop. Wine matures. If you're going day to day, by little bit, by little bit, God getting you through, this is what you've got to know about wine. It's so much better when it crush, it's crushed for that much longer. 